0: Welcome to another episode of Tales from the Trail by Match Play. Joining Justin Chesham, men's soccer coach at Christopher Newport University, and I is Adam Perrin. It's a privilege to welcome the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator from one of the most storied college programs in the country. For over 30 years, the University of Virginia's soccer program has led the way and won seven national championships. Adam's role is to continue to feed that standard of excellence through recruiting the very best student-athletes throughout the country and internationally. He brings his unique perspective to the podcast and provides insight into what it takes to become a part of a Power 5 conference program. I hope you enjoy and find it beneficial. Please share this with anyone who would be interested. Follow the podcast and write me with any questions and comments. Our last podcast was in direct response to a parent's questions. Visit matchplayrecruit.com for more. Tell us about England.
1: Yeah, so super exciting trip. You know, obviously went over there when I was a young kid with my mom. It was more like a sightseeing tour than it was, uh, you know, about about footy. But, you know, I'd always wanted to go as a professional development experience and also to kind of spread the word about um, American University soccer and you know all of its benefits um, you know not only from an educational standpoint but an actual like pro pathway um, that's proven in our country so I had the opportunity through some different contacts and connections that I made to meet with some very um, you know high level high level teams um, you know Chelsea Tottenham Arsenal Uh, crystal palace everton i got tours of their training facilities i i ran into a couple of the the pros that we see on saturday morning all the time i had to kind of keep my distance and not be a super fan and act act a little bit coy uh, yeah (laughs) yeah which was which was difficult to do i got to adapt like seamus coleman and being a huge everton fan like that was an unbelievable like like moment for me but uh i presented to the watford u18 team because you know, those guys know nothing really about university soccer. You know, they think when they get cut after their U16 year or their 18 year that, you know, where do they go with life, when life, you know, at this stage, and um, it's a huge void and, and it's caused a lot of mental health issues there. There's a lot of depression. Um, it's really sad, but there's been a few players that have taken their life, you know, specifically there was a Manchester City boy that got released, I guess, at, at U17 level and, and took his own life from there. And I think for me, that was heartbreaking. So it wasn't only a motivation for me coming from Virginia, but just, you know, these, these young kids that just started in their lives and such great talented footballers, that can probably come here and, and change the, 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 the talent level and team of a lot of our programs just coming from those pro environments, just not really fully knowing um, the value of, of what we offer here. So, um, like I said, I made some great connections. I think I got through to, you know, the different teams that I got to, to meet with I came home with a couple prospects, you know, that got released from those teams that, that may be able to help UVA uh, down the road potentially. And, you know, it was a, it was a great experience overall. I was, I was sad to leave, but I had to to come back to being a husband and, and my full-time job back here. So, so dreamland was over.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, you know, when you're presenting to Watford, like what are some of the questions or not just Watford, but any of the guys that you talk to, I mean, what are their questions? What are their kind of impressions of you know, the college soccer scene and
1: yeah so I think it surprised me there because you know off the start of my presentation I basically told these guys if they couldn't be a professional footballer if the game of soccer kind of dropped off the, the world you know crazy enough what careers would they want to get into And, you know, one of them talked about being a doctor. One of them talked about being in their version of like Wall Street, you know, in in London and like finance. And it was really great to hear their answers that they had thought a little bit broader about what they would want to do with their lives. Like, I don't necessarily expect that being in a legitimate pro environment that that Wofford creates. Um, And I think they're curious to the lifestyle that our guys have, um, like the balance of academics, you know, what, what kind of class are you taking? What majors are out there? What options are there? Um, of course, they're curious about the soccer element. You know, I, I brought up a slide with not only Division One, but like kind of the um, levels of Division Two, II, Division Three, Junior College, um, NAIA, and explained to them about all those university options. And, you know, naturally they were curious about the level. Um, I brought up a slide of the players in the Premier League right now um, and or the championship and where they've come from. You know, a lot of Jack Harrison that came from Wake Forest at Leeds and, you know, Daryl DK was in the championship, came from UVA. A player was recently signed directly from Syracuse to Leicester City um, after this fall. Um, So it was like not promising them that, hey, you come here, you're going to sign with a top level pro team, but that clearly there's a consistent uh, pathway there. So I think it was a, a, a broad range of questions, a little bit like geographically, just understanding the United States, how big it is, like a little bit about these different areas and, and studying and, you know, differences of going up to school in Boston as opposed to, you know, Florida or California or Texas. Um, but a curious bunch. And I think some of those kids have been sheltered in a sense that not a lot of them have had the opportunity to travel, even just for, for vacation, like to see the United States. So we seem like a, a bit of a world away, even though it's only about a five-hour flight to get, get, to get from here for England. So I was pleasantly surprised with their foundation of knowledge i think it was probably more than maybe 10 or 15 years ago because some of their friends and teammates have gotten in with different companies you know like vertex or first point or some of these different english organizations that take these kids that do get released and and put them in a showcase to possibly come over here but there's still you know there's still this naivety in them that every single guy is going to sign a contract and be a pro you know, they don't realize that it's still a point zero zero one percent of those guys that were sitting in that room that might actually have a chance. So I think just to, again, um, just show them this different idea and the horizons and the experience our guys have. And I showed a couple videos to create that excitement. And, you know, like I said, I think it was uh, it was good overall. Cool.
2: Um, yeah. So today we have uh, we just heard uh, if you're not watching uh, Adam Perrin, who is an assistant coach at the University of Virginia. Um, big time, historical, how oh. many national championships? It's like, like you look Southern. at the logo and there's like stars all the way across the, uh, the crest. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, up here in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, great program, um, contains national championship every year. And then, then we got cheese. Hello
0: again. <laughs> Who is the head coach at zero
2: oh, national championships?
0: <laughs> zero. I mean, there are several
2: national
3: championships at Christopher Newport, but correct, not correct. by you, yet. not by men's soccer, no. Yeah, maybe you and Adam can talk. I about watched that. them online though; they were fun games to watch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's coming um, soon, cheese. I see it for so. you. I see it for you in your future. I hope so, buddy. Hope yeah. so. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh,
2: it's a real honor to have you guys on. Um, well, Adam, anyway, I don't know, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, uh, obviously, there's a lot to talk about. There's um, some huge differences in the way, you know, Adam, you recruit on a national, international level. Um, you know, you've got guys, Cheese and I were talking beforehand, and there's just, there's a lot to, like, ask you about how you sort through recruits. Um, I'm sure you get bombarded each and every day with more emails than you can handle so um geez you want to kind of refine that question a little bit and from a coach's perspective and-
3: sure sure uh actually before I, I have a question before we start that um what options do those kids in europe have i mean in terms of college at i mean these kids are talking about being doctors or working in wall street or their version of wall street they have to get education but is there are there not a lot of uh, i mean what's the soccer college landscape football landscape in europe
1: that's a great question so very different than here um one of the famous institutions in england um that that can combine them a little bit is lofborough university i don't know if you guys have heard about it when i used to be at southern new hampshire we had a player that came from lofborough former um like pro academy player that got released ended up attending their institution and they had some sort of a league like set up here, but it definitely doesn't have the infrastructure, uh, the resources, the money invested in it, as all of our uh, college and universities have. Um, it's not quite as serious. I don't think it's, you know, five days a week in terms of the training and the amount of games that we implement in it. Um, it just doesn't seem, uh, like I said, as serious as an intensive environment that we create here in, in America at, at all levels, you know, because we all care and we're all competitive and, and trying to find the highest level of talent, so for the most part in Europe, not only in England, but even like Germany and Norway, Sweden, Spain, these kids have an opportunity to either continue this this pro pathway because there are more opportunities to play fourth or fifth or sixth division in Germany or Spain or these different places, right, just for much less money, but they have all these leagues that are structured that kids can continue to attempt to, to climb the ladder. But if they choose university, in essence, that means they're choosing what you talked about, trying to become a doctor, trying to become a lawyer, um, trying to get into business. Um, And they have teams, but they're more like club teams. It's probably the best way that I can describe it. Um, I didn't really get a feel if they have consistent like full time coaches like I don't think they do. You know, maybe they have some part time guys that come in and run a session, but it's just a little bit more casual um, than it would be here where, again, our, our season's in the fall are a little bit more intense and there's more development there's more competition and whatnot behind it so um for those kids that want to truly pursue the intensity of both and again i think that the awareness is building in, in all countries in europe that, that this is an option and i think you know countries like portugal probably belgium um they're a little bit late to the game right now partially because the language barrier um is a big component to that um but yeah. also I just there's not a lot of kids that have come over from those countries. Portugal's starting, but but yeah, if you want to attend university there, it's pretty much university, and you're you're just fun in your in your soccer life at that stage. Yeah, sure, no, that's uh yeah, that's huge. I mean, you know, we, we, we don't get
3: anything like you guys get in terms of the the interest of the emails, but you you see the the kids that are reaching out through these different programs, these different uh, agencies. And you're like, okay, most of these kids are really good players. And of course, they can come over here, find a home right away. Uh, but you know, you're know, you talking scholarship at that point, but it, it kind of blows my mind that there isn't something for them other than these other lower division pro uh, pathways. And a lot of those kids probably aren't interested in fifth or sixth division stuff. They're probably not. I guess I'll just jump into this other stuff and not try to climb you know, those five rungs to get to the top again. I mean, it's uh, that's definitely a big ask. But. scott back to your original your original point um so you know adam you're also a state school in virginia just like christopher newport we've talked about this a few times in previous podcasts but our recruiting couldn't be i mean any more different i mean it's it's pretty wild uh i used to see you all the time on the recruiting trail and uh i i hardly see you anymore buddy i mean it's uh (laughs) we hang out at all the games and you know i see you from time to time and Uh, It's not that you don't know the state of Virginia. It's not that you haven't done your homework. It's just that you have a much broader scale to go over. So if you don't mind, just kind of, you know, in a vacuum, what what does that look like? I mean, what is the, to recruit at a big time Division I program? You were also previously at Ohio State. I mean, two, you know, nationally known big programs. What is that recruiting like compared to a CNU or even a Division I that you were previously at with JMU? It's just a, it's just a different animal. So, you know, give us a little feedback on that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the beginning part of that, and you know, I don't get it wrong in a sense, that it's actually just because I've gotten married Why right? you don't see me anymore. It's not anything to do with the change of programs or anything like that. It's just because my wife doesn't let me recruit anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> um, No, I think, you know, here, especially at a place like Virginia, right, you have your, you have your roster roughly around like 30 kids. And, and on every given season, you're allowed a certain – I mean, you only bring in a certain amount of players. So maybe it's between somewhere – seven to 10 players on any given class and then within that seven or 10 now with this landscape of this transfer portal that has come about in the last you know it's always kind of been there but it's just been really relevant in the last few years when just they've taken away a lot of the rules to transfer so it's like a free-for-all right Right. now you can find and we were talking about this in the office yesterday you can find a seasoned more polished proven Older player that you can get that's basically been in another program for two years and you could see that track record rather than taking a chance on an unproven 17 year old. So that's always a dynamic that you weigh is like, you've always looked at kids and their talent at the youth level and tried to, you know, um, tried to almost guess or at least, you know, figure out the pathway that they could become on. What are they going to become? What's their potential look like? What's their talent? Like, try to guess through their character and their psyche, their work ethic, and, and you have all this process that you go through. So now you combine taking in a few of those kids every recruiting class, but still leaving open you know enough space to bring on some of these these uh, transfers from these other programs, be it international or American kids that want a bigger challenge or, or move from, from a big program to big program. So that landscape certainly changed in the last probably probably 12 to 15 months. But um, I think how we start the process, right, is just like anyone else, it's just determining need. You know, I have like spreadsheets um, and data on, you know, what our what our class looks like now coming in, like for this this coming like 2023, 24 is almost done. We're probably halfway through already, um, but there's certain positional needs that we'll have. I know in 2025, like through graduation, um, but at a program like Virginia, you could lose a guy at any time. This could be summer before they come for their first year. That could be first fall after they've played here to the pros. You know, we lost Jackson Hopkins for D.C. United. We were, thought he was all set, slated. He had his deposit paid. And then, and I think it was April of the spring before he was supposed to arrive here, D.C. decided then to, to sign him homegrown. <laughs> so you always have to have, like, contingency plans in place, and you, and you kind of have to plan out um you know and, and have, a, have a good strategy into what you want to bring in and make sure that you're covering each of those roles so i think these these big showcases right that everyone attends these mls events and right now i think you can tell that those are in theory the best of the best i think the scouting networks that all these mls teams have improved i know i'm hired for dc united as a part-time scout because of the amount that i'm on the road but all of these teams have constant scouting for all of the non-mls academy teams so in theory all these clubs are bringing on the best ECNL or CCL or these new leagues that are coming out, and they're bringing them into home stays and residency. So we could typically get our best bang for our buck watching these playoffs, watching GA Cup. You know, we we're at the MLS Next event in Maryland. So you could truly see kind of the best of the best in there. And then, you know, I'll be at the ECNL event in Richmond, um, at least for a day, to continue to look for the diamonds in the rough. You know, the the Virginia kids from Beach FC, from Arlington, you know, I'll look at NCFC kids. I'll maybe look at some of the other teams that are doing well throughout the country because some of those kids may not have access to an MLS team, may want to stay with their high school team, you know, they may want to continue on the path they're on. They like the coach they're on, like the challenge that that ECNL team presents. Like, for whatever reason, you could still find some very, very good players at some of these non um, academy program so we have our spreadsheets we have our organization i think our id camps are still a huge draw and a huge um, source for us i know justin you've been to some of these camps and you've seen the level that we put together in these camps for my boss who's been doing it for 30 years that's his favorite way of truly identifying who's a fit for our program because he can get a more comprehensive look at um, the players we bring in because we can put them in training environments we can change and tweak the training environment to try to see that player's strengths and weaknesses. We can see how they come into an uncomfortable environment and how they can still um, perform and assert themselves and, and, you know, show their confidence and proving that they're one of the best in that environment. Um, and then, of course, we can do our additional research going to their games and their home like, club team. So it's definitely a, a daunting task. And then having to align the academic side and make sure that they're good enough students that, you know, we can support them through the admissions process and that they, when they come here, They'll have the aptitude to make it because again, UVA is not a school that you get into, and then it's just easy from there. You know, there's certainly a rigor and the expectations that the teachers have. So, you know, certainly that speaks to kind of their character and their mindset and their their ambition in general. And I'm sure we can get more into like what we look for in, in, in individual players at some point in the podcast, but um you know i definitely try to scour the country and we do get inundated with uh guys across the globe and you know one of my contacts just called me as we're on the podcast here so i had to shut that call off but you're always getting you know players introduced to you because of the reputation that has has come before us and everything george has done with the program you know we typically get to see every contact's best players because they want them playing in the acc it's the biggest challenge it's the best conference, it's, um, you know, turning the most pros consistently. So it's certainly wading through all the, the players and the talent and finding the ones that are best equipped to, to handle chasing a championship and trying to become a professional.
3: It's, it's interesting, you just mentioned uh, a few things there that tying them together really, it opens a lot of eyes. So you said you bring bringing around seven to 10, depending on the class, but just Virginia kids, Mid-Atlantic of the Eastern Seaboard, international national you add up all of those emails or contacts or however they're reaching out uh what what like seven to ten out of roughly how many i mean ours is we're about seven to ten as well out of a few thousand emails and contacts like what 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 type of contact list do you think if you were to say every kid that's emailed me i put them in a list i mean how long is that list
1: on average, because also I had a little secret. I took over the head coach's email on the website. So any of the kids that only would email him, they come directly to me now because it would just be too big of a volume for him to handle and, and what he has to do. He's a, he's a big right. picture on everything, right? So I get come in roughly every morning, not counting showcases, to about 50 emails, I'd say. And around showcase times, I'd say it goes up, so about 75 or 80 emails. So you add that all up over the course of a year, not to mention like, private texts or calls that I get from like contacts, I would say it's probably roughly like 5,000, four to 5,000 overall. And that's actually a big reason here, you know, not a sales pitch for the camps, but a lot of them, you know, I actually try to answer as many as I can, like as humanly possible. Sometimes it might be a generic email, but there's some authenticity when I say, come to these ID camps because all of our coaches, coach ID camps, we often bring in other college coaches. And if you are good enough for what we're looking for, you are gonna stand out in that environment between that 75 to 100 kids that we have because it's just physically impossible to see every single kid that emails us. But I know out of that 5,000 emails, there are kids in there that can change your program, that have pro potential, that you know they'll go to a competitor if you're not doing your due diligence and, and looking at them. It's just not humanly possible without watching five minutes at each game on these fields and going to every field to, to, to see everyone. So try to try to do as much as I can though. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I tell you
3: what, man, I, ID camps are, they're critical for all of our programs. And then and I, I love attending yours, by the way, you got to, when the podcast is over, you got to let me know when you have some going on this summer. So either myself or TrueBlood can, can get our butts over there. But uh, you know, your ID camp is a UVA ID camp. It's not one of these other ones that has, you know, 10, 15 schools. Like, you know, we've done one of those and we have a specific CNU william and mary id camp since we're you know so close and i've been to yours and i sat next to uh who was it middlebury is that right Middlebury yeah, Which one your-
1: assistant
3: yeah and i mean of course the level is fantastic but what does the id camp tell you when a kid is attending it that really it tells you that they're they're super interested in your school they're going to take the extra step it's not just a simple i'm going to email this guy you also emailed 100 people i mean you know, that I am, I am so interested in UVA or I'm so interested in Christopher Newport that I'm going to attend their camp. I'm going to go and pay for the ID camp and attend. And how many kids are flying in from, you know, Europe or across the country. And I remember the one kid from Morocco you had, I mean, you've had some players from all over the world and they are telling you a story. I am super interested. Please spend some time on me. And what better way than when you're in my, in my backyard and I can Get my entire staff's eyes on you for you know a few hours at a time and you know i you want to speak on that a little bit i mean how how many how many guys on your roster played in your id camp
1: i mean i i could speak to the last two classes i know this will be my fourth year here so actually our roster is adding up to that but at least half yeah at least half of our current recruiting class in 2023 have been there um out of 2024 as i think in my mind uh three of the four commitments have been at the camp um So to your point, I do think that shows a lot of investment on their end. I mean, some of these kids might come to the camp, they might blow it out of the water and they might get a full scholarship. Again, I'm not promising that to any listener that that's going to happen, but that does show on the front end, you know, one, you're betting on yourself. You know, I'm betting on myself to come into this environment, be brave in front of a hundred kids in this environment with all the coaches watching me that I can stand out because that pales in comparison to a Friday night, 4,000 fans on ESPN and national television in the, you know, Sweet 16 NCAA tournament and the pressures right. you organically feel just wanting to do well there. So can you be what we call like a primetime player when you go into that setting and, and stand out? But yeah, like you talked about, I mean, just the investment coming in the parents flying in. Um, I think it gives a kid a great feeling on their end as well. Like, you know, some people are getting out there with some of this news and on Twitter and social media, like all oh, these these camps are just a money grab. Right which, of course, is an element that, you know, you you charge a fee and it's mandated by the NCAA that that we do that. And you could pay some assistant coaches like everyone has to make a living in anything else. But I think families can truly also get a feel for how you do things. They interact with you on a more intimate level. If I'm on the field running a training session, you get to see how I coach. You get to see the standards that I put forth, the detail in which I coach, because when I get to run with my group, That's also as an assistant coach, my opportunity to be a head coach in a way. So I run that just the same as if I was hired tomorrow at a division one program, I try to give them the same energy details, enthusiasm that I would for our players, they get to meet the head coach, see how he is. So you might leave and see the area of Charlottesville and our facilities, you might leave and say, man, that's all ball guy was crazy. I don't want to play there. You know, I guess I'd like to think that really happens. But, you know, you may leave and you may love everything even more. And now you get that phone call from us. Now you have context about how we do things, what we expect, the fields that we play on, the Charlottesville area. I love the shopping. I love the food. My parents loved it. It's not too far from home. I get a true feeling for for everything as close as I can legally from NCA standpoint, aside from maybe an official visit. But as you've been to some of our camps, we have some of our players knocking around, too. So maybe one or two of our guys can jump in a training session. You get to feel what it is for a player that – Heck, might be in the MLS someday or in USL or playing at the next level, but you get to see what a Virginia player is and, and his talents and his athleticism and, and compare yourself to that, which I think is invaluable um, part of, partly for awareness. When camps get a little bit uh, sneaky or sketchy in a sense is when parents keep sending their kids to 50 Division I camps to not understand that maybe my child isn't a Division I player, you know, boy or girl. You could send to a few camps early in the process. And if you're getting some interest and some feedback from that, you could tangibly feel like, okay, I am one of the better players here. Like, this is the level I should be looking. You could start to guide your search where, okay, it might not be Virginia Wake, Georgetown. Now I'm going to look to the next tier. Next tier doesn't really work out. Um, I got a call from a great school, Christopher Newport, their national championship contending team. There's still some Division One talent that ends up there for, for their for their reasons. And I'm going to go and really enjoy my experience, play for a good team, make sure I'm playing on the field and and everything else that, that comes with it. So I think these camps can be utilized for a lot, a lot of different things. Like I'm very passionate uh, about them for sure, as you can probably tell in, in my, my voice. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Tales from the Trail by Matchplay. We're grateful that you've taken the time and hopefully it was helpful. Remember to share it, follow us, and visit the website matchplayrecruit.com. See you on the trail.